We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are good. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet! Oh, yeah. Welcome back to another audio adventure here on Insight. I'm CVV Chris Van Vliet, and thank you for being back with us for another episode of The Chris and Chris Show. Well, technically, it's The Christopher and Christopher Show. Christopher Daniels, Christopher Van Vliet. My mom is actually the only one who still calls me Christopher. You know, when I was growing up, it's a true story. My friends would call the house and they'd say, oh, hi, is Chris there, please? And she'd say, no, Chris isn't here, but Christopher is. <laughs> oh, I love you, mom and dad. Love you guys so much. Love Christopher Daniels. So good to talk with him. And we mentioned it during this conversation, but he is truly the ageless wonder. I love it. He has found the fountain of youth somewhere. Speaking of finding things, you, things, you can find him on Twitter at F-A-C Daniels, of course, for Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels. You can find him on Instagram at F-A Christopher Daniels. I'm at Chris Van Vliet, and if it's your first time here, please take a second to click follow or subscribe wherever you're listening. It would be so helpful as the show continues to grow and as we continue to pump out two, three episodes every single week. Our fan of the show is Guju Boys. I think that's how we pronounce it. G-U-J-U Boys with a Z on the end. The best effing podcast out there. His shows are very interesting, especially with guests who come from the wrestling industry and also entertainment. It is a must listen. Well, thank you so much for that. I read one review on every single episode from Apple Podcasts because that's where the reviews can be left. So if you have an iPhone, please go in there, leave a few words, leave a few emojis, click the five stars. And speaking of five stars, if you're listening on Spotify, they've got a rating system on Spotify. We're so close to hitting 400 ratings on there, which is pretty great because ratings just started on there like a month ago. So thank you guys for that. You, you guys are the best. The show is turning three years old in June, and we couldn't have done any of this without you. It, it would, I say this all the time, but I'm standing in my bedroom right now with the door closed. My microphone is perched up on top of my dresser. It would just be me and my dresser here if it wasn't for you. So thank you for inviting me into your ear holes on every single episode. I always love 
sharing a conversation with this man. So please welcome the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels. The ageless Christopher Daniels. Thanks for joining us. C2V, what's going on, pal? How are you? I'm doing great. How's your eye, by the way? Uh, still the same. I don't know if you could tell. Because oh, soon, my God. Of course we can tell. So, uh, but it's all right, man. It's it's uh, just but a flesh wound, as they would say in Monty Python. Um, but I'm doing all right, man. Thanks for asking. Uh, it's it's more cosmetic than anything. I've been checked up a couple times. The vision's fine. Uh, it's just gnarly looking. And uh, yeah, this so is, I mean, this isn't affecting your vision in any way. No, no. It, wow. Like when I talked to the doctor about it, he said that this on a, it can happen on occasion that, uh, you know, hemorrhages just sort of don't drain or heal. And, um, you know, it doesn't like because it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with the iris itself. It's just the, the white of the eye that's sort of discolored. So, um, yeah, I mean, it could be like this. It could, it could dry up in a, in a week or it could be like this for a while. I have no idea. This is the first time it's ever stuck with me. I've had this injury before, not this eye, but I mean, I've had hemorrhages before from yeah. black eyes and things like that. But for some reason, this one's just sticking. So this was the last match that you had on AEW television, right? This was the match right. with the Bucks. That was Correct. May 12th. May. Yep. Yeah, we're coming up on nine months. So oof. we're also coming up on nine months since the last time we saw you on AEW TV. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully that changes soon. But, um, you know, the, the the landscape of AEW is in constant flux, uh, additions, subtractions. Um, so, I mean, it's just a crowded field right now. And hopefully I can make my way back there. But, uh, you know, there's no real timetable as to when that might be. So it's I'm sort of at, at the mercy of, of circumstance. But in the meantime, you the have meantime. opened the forbidden door, and this is exciting. I mean, you're doing. Yeah, I've got somehow I got a key to that door, and I've I've sort of opened it a couple times for a couple different places. Luckily, yeah, and I mean, most recently it's been New Japan Strong that we you worked, you know, not was that a month or two ago, and now again. Oh yeah, next December, week. December, December. I had the match with Jay White, and um, that was my first experience with New Japan Strong itself. And uh, a real good experience, man. It's a real good group of guys, a real good uh, setup that they got going on. And of course, Jay White is an amazing wrestler. Um, you know, I didn't get my hand raised that night, but uh, I felt like I gave him the best fight that he had in a while. So, um, so yeah, man, I, it was a good experience overall. And then this one coming up. Uh, this background behind you is tripping me out because it looks like books. And then every time you <laughs> lean back, I realize they're not actually books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'll try and stay. In no, no, it's so great. It's just the illusion. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's like you're a magician here. I feel like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this, I, I think what's so exciting about this era of wrestling right now is that sure you're signed to a contract with AEW and you have a, an office job with them as well, which we can talk about. But you also have the ability to kind of wrestle where you know other places where it makes sense yeah i think that's one of the 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 benefits of tony khan being the fan of wrestling that he is i think he sees opportunities for our wrestlers to get experience and to get buzz on their name by wrestling in different places and i'm fortunate enough to be one of those guys uh, i've had the opportunity to wrestle for impact in the past and uh for new japan strong and um, who knows where else I'll be able to go 
Um, you know, I'm still, you know, doing independent stuff uh, as well. I'm currently the Defy Interim Champion. So, I mean, I, I'm fortunate to be able to, to go and, and sort of ply my trade where I want, in addition to having the stability of working for AEW. So are you still on the road every single week with AEW, you know, despite the fact that we're not seeing you on TV? Yes, yes. Every week I travel. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff has to do with behind the scenes work, whether it's coaching or uh, talent relations stuff. Um, but yeah, so I'm on the road every week. And then on the weekends, if I have indie bookings or other bookings, there they go. Man. So, as you know, with the title head of talent relations, are you the guy who's going out and scouting talent? Like, what, what exactly does that mean? No, honestly, I, I'm more I'm more involved with uh, signing and or bringing guys to events, whether it's dark tapings in Orlando or live events on the road. Um, honestly, it's it's really Tony's decision uh, based on because he he pays attention to the scene not just AEW, not just, uh, you know, other large companies in the U.S., but the, the independents. And so if there's buzz about a name and he's interested in that, he'll shoot me a text, hey, what can we do to get this person here or that person here? And then I'm, it's sort of, it's on me and a couple other different people to sort of put that meeting together between Tony and the talent in question. And so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, it's really, because Tony is, it's Tony's baby. And so Tony has the idea of, hey, I want this guy here. Or I want this young lady here. Uh, what do we do to get her? And then it's sort of my job to, to hunt him down and figure out a way to get him to a spot. So if you're an up and coming indie wrestler and AEW happens to be coming to your town soon, what's the best way to try to get a spot on Dark? Honestly, the best way is I, the best way if you're an independent wrestler right now is do do the work on the independence. If you can get buzz around your name right now, Tony will find out about you. Um, you know, because I get plenty of emails from guys that are like, hey, I'd love an opportunity. I'm willing to travel. You know, just give me that chance. And like, I wish I got paid per those because I would be a rich man. But uh, honestly, the, the trick is like, if you can get Tony's attention somehow, uh, with work that you do outside of AEW, uh, Tony is more likely to give you an opportunity to be seen. And so um, it's really just a matter of going out there and, and impressing someone to the point where everybody's like, oh my God, did you see this? Like if you can, if you can become viral somehow, uh, you know, Tony will figure out who you are and then he'll he'll make the effort or he'll reach out and be like, Hey, let's see what you can do in an AEW ring. Now that you've done this, wherever you did it, whether it was a A W or PWG or, uh, a A W F in, in North Carolina, like any of the small companies around the U S uh, you know, everybody's fighting for an opportunity to be seen. And the beauty of Twitter and social media now is that it's so much easier to be seen like that, you know, gone are the days of, you know, editing your own VHS best of video like I had to do back in the 90s. Um, a lot of times it's a it's a matter of get a GIF or get a 30 second clip of yourself on Twitter. And if enough people see it, enough people rave about it, sooner or later, it can come to Tony's attention, you know. So when you were coming up, were you seriously editing together VHS tapes? Oh, absolutely. And then, and then mailing them out? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's what we had to do. Um, I, I, I literally put, uh, 
not not what I thought were my best matches, but the matches that I thought showed my experience. So, like, for example, the last tape that I sent out, it had my match with Rhino from ECW and my match with Chris Candido from WCW and a match with Taka Mishinook from WWF, just to show, like, hey, I worked in these three big companies that you might have heard of if you're a pro wrestling guy, you know? And so that was really the point of of trying to introduce or that was the way i wanted to introduce myself to independent promoters around the u.s hey you might have, you might have seen me on AE, or e, uh, ecw tv or wcw or wwf you know whatever the whatever the case may be so you're editing these tapes together and you know, i'm imagining you're not sending out a hundred of them how do you decide who gets the tapes then i honestly like a lot of those were were things to wwf and and, and wcw and uh uh like, luckily, once I started doing stuff on the East Coast for guys like uh, Jim Kettner and the ECWA, that opened a lot of doors for me on the East Coast. And so I had word of mouth sort of working for me at that point. Like, I didn't have to introduce myself to a lot of guys uh, because by that time when I did the Super 8 in 1999, and even a little bit before that when I had this, the matches with Taka Mishinoku on Shotgun Saturday Night, word of uh, you know, the name Christopher Daniels sort of became a little bit easier to find on the independent scene in the Northeast, which is where at the time, the majority of independent wrestling was based. So mm -hmm. I was very fortunate that I had those opportunities, uh, the matches with Taka and then working for the, for Jim Kettner, like those sort of opened the doors for me around the United States independent scene. So. And for you, was it like, I'm going to be a pro wrestler or nothing? um not originally like when i i graduated college in in 1991 with the idea that i was going to be an actor uh, i graduated with a theater degree and um the the lady who is now my wife we met doing summer stock theater in 1991 and she lived in the chicago area and so after we i graduated met her uh we did that summer stock theater then we moved to chicago and you know i was struggling to get uh, in the theater scene, but the trick with the theater scene was they wanted you to work for free and they mm -hmm. wanted like a 60 hour week out of you, which was impossible for me trying to, you know, earn rent. So I had to have a job and, uh, you know, I, I did a couple of like small acting gigs that paid a little bit of money, but nothing that was going to like, you know, let me retire. So, uh, in between all of the, the auditions and gigs that I was trying to get, I made a joke to my wife, like, oh, you know what? If this acting thing doesn't work, I can always be a professional wrestler. Ha ha ha. And she found out about Windy City Wrestling in Chicago, made an appointment for me to meet the promoter, Sam DeCero. And uh, after that meeting, she said I walked out of there with uh, like a glazed look, like I was hypnotized. And so in January of 1993, I took out a loan to go to the school. And by April of 93, I was wrestling matches. That's unbelievable. And then a few years yeah. later, you sign a developmental deal with WWF. No, not specifically. Um, that was the rumor. But what actually happened was um, I had met Jim Cornette along the way. And he offered me an opportunity to work in the, the Funking Dojo with Dory Funk Jr., which is really the precursor to the PC. Like they had camps that they would do week-long camps at Titan Towers uh, with Dr. Tom and Jim Cornette and Dory Funk 
And, um, and so he offered me an opportunity to go to that. And, uh, I did that for a week. This was the same year as the 50th anniversary of the NWA. Uh, the NWA's 50th anniversary show was the same week because the, everybody that was involved with the dojo that week worked on that show. And so, um, I did that week. I did a couple of independents. That was where I met Jim Kepner for the first time. And, uh, but, but that was never a, that was never a developmental contract as much as like, I don't even know if it was meant to be a tryout. It was just huh. a chance to, to work with Dory and to work with guys like, uh, Dr. Tom. And, and then in the camp itself was Kurt Angle and, um, uh, Dr. Death, Steve Williams and, uh, Tiger Ali Singh, Devin Storm, Steve Carino, Test. Glenn Kalka. So there was a, a bunch of guys that were trying to either get a job or go from the developmental contracts they had to being on television. Mm. So once that happened, once that ended, I think everybody assumed like, oh, this he's doing developmental stuff for WWE. And the truth was, I was just back to doing independence. And every once in a while, I would do, um, you know, when WWF came to town, I would do extra work uh, off and on. So I did that up until like 2002 when ROH and TNA became a thing. And then I sort of stopped doing the WWF tryout stuff. But with you being on WWF's radar, there was never like an opportunity or there was never interest in them signing you full time. Uh, if there was, they never expressed it to me. Just like so they never away by that. You're so insanely talented. Oh, well, thank you very much. But honestly, I feel like at the time they weren't buying what I was selling. And I get mm. that. I mean, you look at, you look at the way the light heavyweight division was was like emphasized or how little it was emphasized at the time. Um, you know, it's all about timing, I think. Like, like when I was available and ready to go, there wasn't really a space for guys like me. Um, you know, they were struggling with just just to have Taka and like uh, uh, Aguila and, and some of the other guys that were smaller stature. Like those guys would every once in a while be on television. So they weren't like adding to that. But then, you know, in 2010, all of a sudden they're like, oh, hey, let's 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 get smaller guys and 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 uh, give those guys opportunities. But by that time, I was sort of firmly entrenched with either TNA or Ring of Honor. And so there wasn't really a, a, a moment where I was like free and clear. Hey, let's let's talk WWE. Yeah. I mean, and when it comes to TNA, it's like I, I feel like you're on the TNA Mount Rushmore. Oh, well, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was very fortunate to get in early on. And, um, you know, the, I was working with the right people, too. Like, being in there with guys like Joe and America's Most Wanted and AJ, obviously. Um, you know, I, 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 had, I had great opponents. And when you get in matches with great opponents and, and turn out good matches, that's what people end up remembering, luckily. So, I mean like you go through my TNA career and you can certainly point to a lot of like high points with the matches, whether it was the AMW stuff with triple X or me and AJ or me and Joe or me and Kurt Angle. You know, I, I was very fortunate to work a bunch of great guys at that. point. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I said this to you the last time I saw you at the Heels premiere, but like it blows my mind that there's only been one five-star match in the history of TNA slash Impact Wrestling. You you were yeah. in it. I mean, yeah. for everybody yeah. listening and watching, it's you versus Joe versus AJ, the three-way match, which is an incredible, incredible match. Thank but how, how is there only one five-star match? Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, and I think, people don't recognize how important crowd response is to the atmosphere of a match. Um, you know, I, I think I might've even mentioned this to you the last time we had this conversation. I was in, uh, I was in New Jersey for final battle when I saw low key wrestle Kenta and like watching the match itself, it was such an amazing match. And I thought to myself, this is a perfect match. This has got to be five stars. And I remember seeing, seeing it get like four and a half. And I realized like, it wasn't, it wasn't, if this was in front of, if they had done that match in, in, in the impact zone, it would have been six stars. But because, because it was uh, the New Jersey Rexplex, I believe it was, it was such a spread out area. And um, the, the building wasn't really good uh, acoustically. So it didn't sound like it was like people were going crazy, even though I know they were. So, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, the impact zone and that particular match, it was the perfect spot for what ended up being the perfect match at the time. And I feel like that atmosphere added to the enjoyment of the match. I mean, we, if you watch it back on YouTube, you can hear people going nuts. Like, you know, like it sounds like it's 10,000 people and it was, you know, a thousand tops. I don't even know what the, the impact zone held, but at that point it, they were, they were making the noise of 10 times the amount of people. And I think that added to the the atmosphere and the whole package of what that match was. Yeah, I mean, 20 years, one five-star match. Do you know how many five-star matches AEW's had already? Oh, uh, well, the Bucks have been in most of them, so... <laughs> I, I, more than every my, Bucks match, basically. Yeah, more than my fingers can count, I yeah, believe. Yeah, 13. Yeah, so that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, 13 in three years. And, and speaking of that, you know, we're... Th- three years into AEW now, in your humble opinion, how do you think it's going versus how it was originally started in 2019? Um, I feel like, I feel like it's going well in the sense that we've grown and we've established an identity. Um, You know, for the first year, I feel like 
we were a well-kept secret that all of a sudden was getting spread around. And then it was like, oh, a lot more people know about this than I thought. You know, so that first year we're filling arenas, um, you know, right before the pandemic hit, like we were having sold out shows and, and, and uh, you know, big arenas and big shows. Um, you know, the pay-per-view directly before the lockdown hit that revolution, um, the night that Moxley won the belt, like it was a, a, a sold out crowd in Chicago, you know, and you're like, things are going great. Yeah. And now now that we're on the other side of the, the pandemic and, um, you know, going back to the arenas and I still, you know, we're still selling well, um, but also we've added so many different people that the landscape, like I said, has changed in AEW. And uh, I feel like um, we're there's such a wide variety of guys now that at any moment we can throw anybody out there and, and give you like just an amazing wrestling match that, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing to think like three years ago, if you had said, Oh, Brian Danielson's going to be there or oh, CM Punk's going to come back. Like we had no idea. We had no idea that this would be a thing. And then, um, so, I mean, here we are, man, at this point now we've made such noise that CM Punk, turned around and said, Oh, Hey, maybe this is a place to come back to. Or Brian Danielson said, you know what, WWE, I'm good. I'm going to go over here and apply my trade the way I want to. So, I mean, we had no idea that that was going to be the case three years ago, but here we are. I mean, I, I keep saying that it's such an exciting time to be a wrestling fan. And I would have to think that also means that it's a really exciting time to be a pro wrestler as well. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's plenty of opportunity right now to uh to be seen and make a name and um it's just a matter of getting that opportunity and and, you know so many guys have come through AEW now and and sort of uh been introduced to the the nation uh the national scene because of AEW and I mean you know if you had told me that in 1998 when I was doing this like hey 20 years from now you're gonna have a show on TNT I'd have been like you know, my mind blown, mind blown. Yeah. Do, do you think about, like, I started off the interview saying you're ageless and it's unbelievable. Like, first of all, tell us your secret. What is the secret to looking this good at your age? Um, that's a good question, man. I wish I knew the true answer. I'd bottle it and sell it. But honestly, um, I go bald early, I guess. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you go bald early, you'll never see gray. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's the case. Maybe just go hairless from the neck up and no one will know. You've got gray coming in. Maybe. How much longer do you want to keep wrestling? Because I feel like you could keep going forever. Um, I, I sometimes feel the same way. Like, I, I feel excited to try and be ready to wrestle. Um, you know, and, and uh, it all depends on on the situation. You know, like, I, I'm readying myself for these independent shows. And I'm also readying myself to get the call from Tony to be like, okay, here's what we want to do when you come back. Um, you know, so it, 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 I'm in a difficult position at this point because I'm sort of unsure what the future holds for me. So a lot of it is just me being prepared and trying to get as good as I can get at this age uh, and still, and still try to be relevant. You know, it's, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough lane to stay in right now for me. I feel like, you know, you look at the AEW roster and it's like Chris Jericho, Billy Gunn, Sting, you, like you guys are still 
putting in the work and you guys look awesome in the ring. Well, thanks, man. Thanks. I, uh, hopefully I get a chance to come back and, and do the same, like, like Billy and Sting and, and Chris and Matt Hardy, who are still, you know, amazingly is still going at a great pace, you know? So, I mean, it's just a matter of getting that opportunity again and, and who knows when that'll be. So, you know, if, and when you come back, it's as a singles wrestler, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, that's the plan right now. Um, you know, the end of SCU was, uh, bittersweet for sure. I mean, Frankie and I were, were a team for over a decade and, um, you know, but I, I feel like, like he, he's in a spot right now where he's doing some of his best work and, and all he needs is that opportunity to be on television again and remind everybody that Frankie Kazarian is one of the best around. And, um, you know, I, I, I never want to hold him back either. So, I mean, I'm glad that he's gotten this opportunity while I've been gone to sort of sow his, his single oats again, um, because he, he's had some great matches and, and it's, it's a crime that he hasn't had more. Uh, but I think that's part of, part of having such a wide variety of roster or a wide roster right now. Um, there's just so many guys that, uh, you know, someone like Frankie Kazarian can sort of, uh, not be around for a while. And, and everybody's like, Oh, Frankie Kazarian's still here. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I, I, when you're with someone for 10 years and you know, you're in this great, very well-known, very successful tag team, can you even be ready for you guys to end? Can you even be ready for it to be, you know, broken up? Um, not, not really. Like we weren't, we weren't looking forward to it, but it was a, it was a, it was a calculated risk to sort of make that offer. And, um, you know, at the time, at the time there was a, a, a wide variety of tag teams in the company. And, um, you know, I, I felt like there was an opportunity for us to maybe do singles as well if the match went the way it ended up happening. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't mind. I would love an opportunity to tag with Frank again if that was the case. Um, but at the same time, if uh, if singles is the way we must go, I mean, we're both very accomplished singles wrestlers and yeah. we were before SCU. And, um, you know, I think Frankie has proven that he can still go. And I'm looking for that opportunity to prove the same. So. Yeah, I I feel like your eye like tripped people out because after that match they're like, oh, he must be out with an injury. Um, not really. I I mean, you know, I, I've wrestled with this for a little bit now, and and I still get a lot of the oh my god, what happened? And yeah, when oh you sit god, next to someone there. on a plane, they just must be terrified that you're like some sort of a cyclops or something. I usually I usually wear dark glasses so I can avoid the the scary the the scary yelps of surprise from the stewardesses and pilots that I walk past. So I actually, um, there's a guy that gave me a, a contact lens that I can put in that covers it. It's completely white. So like, I'll wear that to the airport, but I, I can't wrestle in it because it's too big. And it's like, it's a little uncomfortable. So, I mean, like, it's okay to wear, like if you're sitting on a plane, but if you're running around and taking bumps, it would probably blind me. So, so yeah, yeah I'm, you, stuck. I'm stuck with the red eye in the ring, but you, outside <laughs> of the ring, if you see me, uh, I might have that contact in. So, yeah, you posted this on Instagram. It's like, it's a huge contact that covers like the outside, like the white right. part of your eye. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, like, honestly, like I got it. I got an, uh, a, di a direct message from this guy who was like, Hey man, that looks really bad. Do you, you know, I do this. And he showed me like some of his wares. And I was like, 
give me one. Let me see what it feels like. And, you know, it looks great, but it is a little sort of uncomfortable to wear. But I mean, like I said, it, it, it saves me a lot of the, ah, you know, that <laughs> sort of, that sort of reaction from young children and, and people I'm buying coffee from in Starbucks. So people ever mistake you for Frank Trigg? No, no. You know, I'm UFC I don't fighter. Know, no, I know Frank Trigg. Yeah. We like, he came, he wrestled in TNA first. That's right. He was in so, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, very rarely, very rarely. Who is, uh, who do people, because, you know, you sit next to someone on a plane, they go, oh, that guy, I know him from somewhere. He's famous. Where's he from? Who do they think you are? Um, Twitter seems to think I'm some guy named Johnny Sins. <laughs> I think he's, I want, I, I don't know who it is. I think, I think he's a porn star, which makes me worried that wrestling fans watch way too much pornography. I'm sure but, that that's the case. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's the one I see on Twitter all the time. Like, oh, I thought you were Johnny Sins, and I'm like, oh, I'm not sure who that is. And once I sort of looked him up, I was like, oh, that's why I didn't come across his work. Yeah, I think you got to be careful when you look up Google images of Johnny Sins. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I luckily I didn't go to images first. I just was like, oh, Wikipedia. There we go. Yeah. There's a there's a another. I don't know if you know who Simon Miller is, but he also yep, gets Simon mistaken. Miller. Yes. So, I get that less frequently, but I do know Simon. So Simon gets gets Johnny sins all the time. All the time. That sounds right. <laughs> White guy with shaved head, I guess. That's it. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, the last time we did an in-person interview, it was in Orlando. It was Ring of Honor. You were Ring of Honor champion at that time. And oh, I remember okay. being so happy for you that you were Ring of Honor champion. I was that happy because I've been a fan of yours for decades what did it mean for you to finally win a world championship like that um i i felt like it was a you don't you don't ever think you're going to be able to tell a story that spans 15 years and um you know just the circumstances like we had no idea when ring of honor started that 15 years later i would be around and a uh a contender for the world championship, but just the way circumstances went and the way previous bookers decided to use me, it just, it just sort of fell into place. And honestly, like the discussions about me being world champion didn't come around until after ladder war, like when ladder war happened and the reaction to the match, uh, between me and Frankie and the young bucks and the guns, just the reaction to that match, I felt like, a lot of people sort of, it was the first time that, that some people went, wait a minute, this might be the time for Christian Daniels to be world champion. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, once, once that match happened, maybe a couple weeks later, uh, someone backstage mentioned it to me. They were like, Hey, this might be the time for you because after this, and it sort of, it sort of turned me baby face, just like we were trying to be, evil villain his heels at that point but just the effort in that match that and and the punishment that frankie and i both took like there was a sort of a groundswell of like oh these guys actually are good and they can wrestle and you know they're not uh they're not half bad so i mean mm. that's sort of that's sort of where that all began and a couple months later i had the opportunity to go through that tournament the the decade of excellence tournament that got me the the title shot and then two months later there i was I just feel like it's a travesty that you didn't win the TNA World Championship. 
And I don't think it's a matter of like, should you have won it? Because I think you should have. But do you think there was a specific program or match that should have led to you winning it? Um, not necessarily. Like there was, there was really only one point that I thought it made better sense than what they decided to do. But not really. I thought it would have worked better. There was a, there was a moment in time uh, where uh, Jeff Hardy wasn't able to go to the UK. And I thought to myself, well, I, I, I had a match with him before we went to the UK, and then we weren't going to have a world champion in the United Kingdom. And I thought, well, what if instead they put the belt on me, and then I went to the UK, and then I could lose the championship in the UK and make a big moment for the gentleman that ended up becoming world champion at that time? Um, you know, it would have been a great moment. But at the same time, I feel like they were building for Jeff to lose the belt to that particular person at that time. And so like, it was just a different idea and, and not to say my idea was better than that, but I could have seen it work, but I didn't, you know, this was at that point, it was, you know, it was already sort of written. They were going in that direction and they didn't, they didn't want to change and That's fine. You know? Yeah, but it just feels like, like for everything you did in TNA, it's, just wild to me that you don't have that as part of your resume. Well, and honestly, too, like I, I never thought. I don't think there was ever a moment in TNA like there was, like the the part the, the thing I mentioned about how Ladder War went and how the groundswell of sort of support happened for me in Ring of Honor. There was never really a moment in TNA where that happened. Like there were times where I come back and I would have good matches. Um, you know, and they would put me in the ring with someone like AJ who had the belt at the time, a lot of the time. Um, but there was never that moment where I was like, oh, you know what? The crowd, the crowd reaction to CD getting the belt at this guy from this person. I don't think there was ever a moment where the, the, the powers that be thought, oh, this is the time where Chris Daniels should win the belt. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's how it is. I, I feel like every, every promotion has their idea of the best thing, the best path for their championship to travel. And it just happened to be away from me or around me the entire time for TNA. Yeah. Is there a match in TNA that you're most proud of? Honestly, uh, obviously the Joe and AJ one comes to mind because that's the one that everyone remembers. Um, I also was supremely thrilled with the cage match with me and Elix against America's most wanted, uh, the second pay-per-view that we had. Um, I was also very thrilled with, uh, the Slammiversary tag match that Frankie and I had with Kurt and AJ. Um, that's probably my favorite bad influence tag title match that we had. Um, just because the, the atmosphere in Dallas, uh, Arlington, um, and wrestling Kurt Angle and AJ, you know, you couldn't ask for better opponents and better baby faces to go in there and try to be the villain of Seals against. They really were, it, it was like an underhand pitch in softball. If you couldn't hit that, you, you, sh you had no business being there. And we were so fortunate to be put in that position against two of the best baby faces ever uh, and, and bad guy heels to, to go and lose the belts to them. It was just, you know, the, you get tables, when your table is set so well, you can't help but have a great meal. Yeah. You were making such a name for yourself in the 2000s with the X Division, everything that was going on in Impact. Did WWE ever come knocking back on your door? No, no. And, and honestly, the only time that they could have, 
Um, I was fired from TNA at the beginning of 2010. And um, like I made a phone call, but no one ever really got back to me. And like directly after that, Jim Cornette and Ring of Honor, uh, you know, reached out. And, you know, the, the good thing about Ring of Honor had always sort of treated me like family. And so like when that call came, it was it wasn't it wasn't hard to say yes to go back in 2010. And I had I had a, a great singles run in 2010 in Ring of Honor. I had the opportunity to be TV champion. I had some of my best matches with Eddie Edwards. Then um, I had a great match with El Generico. I, I had great I had great opportunities against great wrestlers, uh, Kevin Steen. Um, you know, so like to name a few. Uh, that year in Ring of Honor was was a lot of fun, and um, it culminated with me going back to TNA. Honestly, because Ring of Honor got bought by Sinclair. And at that point I started doing both. Like there was a moment where I offered to be able to do both. Um, cause I had returned to TNA and I said, well, let me, let me be evil fallen angel in, in ring of honor. And I'll be, you know, young up and coming baby face, Christopher Daniels in TNA. Um, but at that time, Jim Cornette and, and, and rightfully so he, he was like, well, I, I can't trust, I can't trust TNA to book you with the same strength that we would, mm. uh, you know, and, and then, you know, and, and my argument was always like, Hey, anybody that's watching both TNA and ring of honor, they know the score, they know what's going on. Yeah. So I think they would have been very forgiving if like his example was what happens if they book you to lose to Rob Terry in 60 seconds. And my response was they'll probably like go boo TNA, not boo Chris Daniels, not boo, that guy sucks they'd be like oh well tna is just misusing chris daniels again but you know and that was an argument that i that that was the the argument that i made and understandably lost yeah unfortunately but i thought there was a good moment where there was that was sort of like the forbidden door before the forbidden door where the opportunity to be in both like there was a there was a month where i main evented a pay-per-view for both companies was that when Uh, you were suicide no 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 i main evented um uh, the, I had a, I had a world title match against Eddie Edwards in April of 2010. And then that same year we did lockdown with myself, beer money and Frankie against, uh, bully Ray abyss, Ric Flair. And, uh, who was the fourth guy, Matt Hardy. So like it was the, uh, not the, immor- they weren't immortal, but it was the, that, that crew versus fortune. And I was, uh, so yeah, that same month I main evented a pay-per-view for ring of honor and, and TNA. Yeah, you're right. That's, yeah. that's pre forbidden door. Pre forbidden door. <laughs> what are the odds you, that, uh, suicide or curry man might make an appearance in AEW? Um, definitely not suicide. Definitely not suicide. Curry man. Um, maybe, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, that would have to be a Tony Khan call, though. I mean, he may not even be aware that Curry Man still is alive and well, or alive and somewhat well. Mm, that could be Maybe. a great. That could be a great BTE cameo. I'll, I'll I'll talk to the young bucks and see what I can put together. Let's put that out of the world. Let's make that happen. <laughs> I think that'd be fascinating. What's What's next for you as we look ahead here? Um. Well, honestly, uh, next week. Newsman Strong, me and Gabriel Kidd for the very first time. Um, 
I, I feel like what's coming up for me is a lot of younger guys trying to make a name at my expense, which is okay. I completely understand that. It's like next week or this coming week, uh, I wrestle Nick Wayne for the Defy Championship in Defy. Uh, Nick Wayne's probably 20 years old, 21 maybe. So literally I have wrestling boots that are older than him. And and then <laughs> on February 17th in Los Angeles, I wrestle Gabriel Kidd, um, another young up-and-coming, like he just graduated the dojo system out of LA Dojo. And um, so like I feel like my lot in life at this point, I'm going to be wrestling guys that are anywhere from 10 to 20 years younger than me that are looking to get better by beating someone of my stature. Yeah. And so like that's, and, and understanding, understanding going in there that 99% of the time they're going to be faster than me or stronger than me or, uh, you know, better technical wrestlers than me. But the one thing that I'm always going to have in my favor is experience. And the, the good thing about using my experience is like knowing what I can do that they can't do. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, someone like Nick Wayne, who's very, who's a little bit smaller than me. So I know I'm stronger than him. So that's going to be my game plan. Gabriel kid, uh, he hits hard. And so like, I'm going to have to try and out wrestle this guy who strikes like a madman. And, and so like even Rocky Romero told, told me aside, he's like, Hey man, Gabriel kid's going to hit you really hard. And I went, okay, here we go. You know, I mean, thank you for the warning. Um, but I mean, I, 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 like the last time when I wrestled Jay, I know Gabriel wrestled Eddie Kingston and I saw after the show, Eddie Kingston, not only did he put Gabriel over, but he pulled Gabriel into the room with him, into the interview room and told him how good he was to his face. Mm. And I respect Eddie Kingston an immense, a, a great deal. And so if Eddie Kingston will pull you directly in front of him and call you a good wrestler, that that says a lot to me. So I know on February 17th, I'm, I'm in for a fight. But yeah. Gabriel needs to understand that I've been doing this for a very long time. And I've, I've lost as many as I've won. But I, I know what it takes to win. And I know what it takes to beat younger, faster, stronger guys. Because I've been doing it for a good while. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm, I look forward to this. Like... Part of the excitement for me is going into a wrestling ring with someone who's younger, stronger, faster, whatever, and being able to keep up with them. Like that to me makes me feel great. Like I'll give you a perfect example. Last month I had a match against Malachi Black for the first time. And I'm a huge fan of Malachi Black. I watched him uh, when he was NXT champion. I saw some of the matches and I was so impressed with how fast and how good he was. And knowing, like, I, I only got like a week's notice before I realized I was wrestling him. And so I had a week to think about, oh, crap, I got to wrestle Malachi Black. And this guy's so good and so fast. And at the end of the night, I, I lost. But I was very happy with the fact that I, I hung in there with this guy who's one of the top wrestlers in the world right now. And, and me, 16 years older than him, injuries aplenty. Uh, I went in there and gave him like, I gave him a, a, a good 20 minutes. You know what I mean? And that, yeah. that made me happy. Like I would love to have beaten him, 
But the fact of the matter is, like, just getting in there and having a good showing against someone that good, that made me feel like, okay, I got, I still got something. I still got something here. And yeah. so Gabriel Kidd's going to find out what I still have on February 17th. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you work with these younger guys and they get to, you know, sit under your knowledge tree here and learn from you. What is it that they want to specifically, you know, take from you? What do they specifically want to learn from you? It, man, it's such a hard, that's such a hard question to answer because there's so many different answers that could fit the bill. Um, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as what am I missing? Hmm. But I mean, like you can't <laughs> answer that because a lot of times it's that intangible. Sometimes it's just the answer. The only thing you're missing is opportunity. You know what I mean? Like some of these guys are so good and it's just a matter of the right promoter thinking of the right idea or the right match that gets you seen by the right audience. And then all of a sudden it could turn on like that. You know what I mean? I feel like, for example, Dante Martin is a phenomenal young athlete and I've watched him from the beginning, not the beginning of his career, but from the beginning of his, his tenure in AEW. And I feel like someone saw him doing something on the independence and they were like, we've got to get this guy here. Mm -hmm. And so he had matches. He had matches against the young bucks. Um, you know, once his brother got injured, he had matches against a, a, a good amount of people where now all of a sudden Dante Martin, the name Dante Martin is like, Oh, I know who you're talking about. It's that guy. It's this, this high flying, this amazingly athletic jump, jump master. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like something clicked for him. Like someone saw something there and put him in the position. Like I want to say the young bucks, the first match he had on television was the young bucks. And so like that, that showcase all of a sudden just started a fire that has been burning slowly, but surely for Dante. And sometimes that's what guys are missing. But I mean, you know, a lot of times the question they ask is what, what would, what should I do different? Like we'll wrestle a match and they'll come to me and like, what would you do differently? And honestly, like I can just give them what works for me and my experience. So a lot of times I'll be like, if it was me, I would do this, 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 or whatever. Um, and, and, and I always tell guys too, like, I don't know everything. I wish I did, but I can only tell you what has worked for me, what has worked in my experience and why, something that you did didn't work or could have worked better, you know? So a lot, that's a lot of it really, you know, uh, I wrestle a guy, come back. What, what do you think, sir? What, what, what's, what could I have done? What, what would different, you know? And it's, it's hard sometimes because I'm not really paying attention. I, in, in the middle of the match, I'm just trying to, you know, wrestle and win and be as good as I can be. And then it's, it's a lot of it is, uh, trying to remember that feeling and be like, okay, what, how did I feel when this happened? And, and what would I have changed and how could I, how could I have made that moment something more? So that, that's really it, man. And I mean, so many times I get guys that are coming up to be like, Hey, do you mind watching my match? And I'm like, 
I would love to, but I have to get ready for my own match, young man. And thank you for wanting me to be, yeah. uh, to be, you know, to pay attention. I, I, I'm very flattered when someone asks me for my opinion, just because, like I said, I don't know everything. I, 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 I know, I know what I know and I don't know what I don't know. And, and that I feel like everybody's sort of, if, if people, if people would just sort of embrace that fact, it'd be a lot better. You know, I feel so I I'm very aware of like, uh, I can help you to a certain extent. I can give you my experience and hopefully you can take that and mold it to your, to your benefit. So, I mean, that, that sort of is, is, it's really all I can tell guys. It's like, I can tell you what I can tell you. I can tell you what I know. And then in the same way, like my advice doesn't always work for guys. Like I can yeah. tell you what I think, but I mean, someone may tell you directly opposite or something, you know, somewhat similar or somewhat different. It just depends. Like we're all, our, all of our experiences are different. So, I mean, it's just part of the, part of the, part of this crazy skill of professional wrestling. It's like handed down like gypsies. We all, we all pass around treasures uh, around the, the campfire. Yeah. I think one of the greatest things about you is win or lose in your entire career. You've always been so good at making the other guy look great. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Well, I mean, that was, that was sort of what I was taught was, you know, if you make that guy look good and he makes you look good, you both look good. And mm -hmm. so like, that's, it, it's sometimes hard to, to, it's, it's sometimes hard to relax the grip on your own ego, but I always sort of took it like the thing that makes my ego sort of stronger is how well the match is perceived. So if I go out there as a selfish guy and try to just get what makes me look good, good, and people go, that match was sad because we got two guys doing this, yeah, you know, then no way, nobody wins. Nobody wins in that situation. So like, that was what I was taught. I think a lot of the guys that I consider my peers and certainly the guys that I've had the best matches with are the ones that have that same opinion. Like if, if they make me look good and I make them look good, we all win. And, yeah. and that to me has always been like the game plan. Like how do we yeah. make this match great? What can we do to make this match stand out? What can we do to make it different from the last match we had? What can we do to make it different from the match that goes right before us, the match that comes directly after us? What can we do? And, and that's part of the art too, is just throwing in all these different ingredients and seeing what, what do we take? What do we, what do we take out? What do we put back in? What do we put more of, you know, that's, that's part of the game. By the way, how's it been being back at universal studios back in the impact zone with AEW? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's sort of, it's sort of weird in the sense, like you, like I've been there for so many I've had so many matches there and for so many different places. Like I wrestled there. I, I just talked about, cause we were there this Saturday and I was telling someone, not only did I do TNA there for such a long time, but when the XWF came around in late 99, early 2000, I still had hair. I don't remember exactly when it was, <laughs> but I mean, I remember so long ago. You XWF still had hair. Tapings. Yeah. I remember doing the XWF tapings there at, in the same building where in the same um, in the same soundstage where 90% of the TNA stuff happened. So I was like, I can't get away from Universal Studios. <laughs> We're back. We're back. I saw Billy Gunn on the weekend and he's like, it was so crazy being back there because the same people were still working there too. Right. 
Right, right. Yeah, we had we have a couple of guys. It's funny we actually have a, a lot of the people that work behind the scenes at TNA. We we have them in AEW just because a lot of us that did TNA from the days like the Bucks and myself and Frankie like. When this all started, we were like, hey, you know who you need? You need this person. You need this person. Because we remembered them from TNA. And we tried to get as many of the good guys that we remembered to our place. And, and luckily, we've gotten a lot of them. And they've been outstanding since we've been there. Well, you're one of the good guys. It's always <laughs> such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for always being so kind to me. My pleasure, man. Thank you for having me on the show. And I, I appreciate your uh, flexibility in having this interview today. Uh, not face-to-face, but certainly uh, phone-to-phone. Yeah, no, I'm glad we're doing this. And I end every conversation with the same question because I I love gratitude. You see right here behind me, be great, be grateful. What are three things in your life that you're grateful for right now? Three things I'm grateful for. Um, I'm very grateful that I've avoided the plague like the plague this whole, these last two years, Um, COVID-free and knocking on wood right now to keep it that way. Um, my wife and my children have been very, uh, adamant that I don't bring it home. And I, and I've been very, uh, lucky to obey that edict in my own household. Um, and I'm very grateful that during the time of the pandemic, I worked for Tony Khan because I look at what happened with ring of honor, what happened with TNA, um, and, and like, there but for the grace of god we could have easily done the same thing we could have lost our television show um if we were if we were if we were unable to continue filming if we were stuck if there was no way we could do it we would have lost the television show and i mean that would have changed the 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 marketplace of professional wrestling so to speak so i mean i'm so fortunate that tony you know dug his heels in and figured out a way to film and figured out a way to keep AEW alive in a time when 90% of everything around us was falling apart. So, I mean, I'm grateful for that. And um, I'm grateful for the friends that I've gotten in, in professional wrestling, Frankie Kazarian, first and foremost, because he's been by my side almost 20 years now. Um, AJ Styles and Samoa Joe will be my friends till the very end of my life. And Matt and Nick Jackson have have been my family for the last eight to 10 years. And it's because of them that I'm where I'm at. I wouldn't be in AEW if Matt and Nick didn't give me the opportunity, if they didn't uh, reach out to me when this was in the planning stages and say, hey man, take a chance with us. Mm. And, and, uh, And honestly, there's no other answer I would have ever given them except yes. You know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. At the time in my career, when this came around, I could have easily stayed where I was. I could have easily, what could have been a lateral move. But I mean, looking at what was going on with with Matt and Nick and Cody and Kenny at that time, the idea of doing something new with them, it was never a risk in my mind. It was never a risk. So like, I'm so grateful and fortunate that those guys thought of me and Frankie and Scorpio Sky to join from the get-go um you know it's been a great three years it's been a very uh surprising three years like i didn't know it was going to go like this but these three years have been great and i've been very fortunate and uh, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for all of those things. And you're obviously doing a great job. You know, obviously we see the fruits of your labor on TV. We don't actually see the labor being done behind the scenes, but right. You know, it's obvious that you're doing great work. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. And thank you for coming on the show. So good to catch up with you. My pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. And, and hopefully we can do this face to face next time. Uh, done. We'll do it. We'll do it. Well, my brother. Thanks so much. Take care. See you, TV. There we go. Big thank you to Christopher Daniels for joining us. New Japan Strong Rivals is in Hollywood on Thursday, February 17th. For tickets and more info, go to njpw1972.com and take a screenshot, share this on social media, tag us both so we can see it and so we can share it as well. And speaking of Twitter, I tweeted this out earlier in the week. You know, that idea of how crazy it was that TNA has only ever had one five-star rated match by Dave Meltzer. I mean, that's insane. And I'm so glad that you guys agree with me. For comparison, during that same time, since TNA started in 2002, so in the last 20 years, I mentioned in the interview, AEW's had 13 five-star matches. WWE and NXT have had 10. Nine of those have been in NXT, by the way. Ring of Honor has had four. PWG has had five. New Japan has had 64. So TNA with one, New Japan with 64. I will leave you with this from John Wooden, who says, it's the little details that are vital. Little things make big things happen. Go make some big things happen in your week. Be great. Be grateful. We'll see you on the next one for some more insight. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.